Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of For Real is brought to you by TBR, Book Riot subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life and a great gift for the holidays for the readers on your list. Tell a TBR about your likes and dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. TBR is also available as a gift for the holidays. Just select the plan you want to give and you can schedule the gift to be delivered any day you want. But get your gifts fast because spots are limited this holiday season. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today or to start your holiday shopping. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Yukura. We're recording on Thursday, December 16th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Um, I'm kind of floored that Christmas is like next week. Yes, I am deeply floored by that. <laughs> It's also weird because uh, it was just like 60 degrees out. Yeah. Did you have the crazy weather like we did? Yeah. Yeah. It was like we had a snowstorm and we got like anywhere from like 10 to 20 inches of snow. I think we got like 17 or 15-ish around our house. Whoa. That was over like Friday into Saturday. And then this week, it got up to like 50 degrees, and it rained, and there were thunderstorms and tornadoes, and now all the snow is gone. Okay, well, we got zero snow, but we had extremely high winds yesterday. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really, really bad and like kind of scary. Yeah, it but, was. you know, anyway, everything's fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It's all fine. It's all fine. But... I, w- I just realized I was like, have I bought gifts for everyone? No. And then, you know, it's just like nine days. And, mm. Yeah. It's it fine. Is. How is your reading going, though? You know, I just in the last like a couple of days or I guess maybe in a couple of weeks, I haven't tracked books in a couple bit. Anyway, I just passed 100 books for the year, which is a Woo! number that I have not hit for several years now. So that was very surprising because I really feel like I haven't been reading that much. But when I looked at my giant book spreadsheet, I discovered that I have uh, listened to like 30 audiobooks. And so that is why I have managed to get to 100 books is thanks to audiobooks. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I think I just hit 75, which is the lowest for me in a few years. Mm-hmm. But there were some large things happening this year so i'm just gonna chalk it up to that yeah i also feel like 100 for me is sort of like the max number like something after that like i just i get tired of it you know i understand that 
So it kind of like that's the that's about the limit. They used to happen for me in like a much smaller version slash way with um, certain book series. Like mm-hmm. I was like, I can read. They're so repetitive that I was like, I can read like three a year. And then I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my fill. But you're saying that's that's more like the concept of books. Yes. <laughs> you're like 100 <laughs> and then that's it. The time spent is you're like, I need to do something else. And that's that's the maximum number of like words I can put in my head. Do you keep track of anything like fiction and nonfiction and like anything like that in your like tracking spreadsheets? I think I was really good about that either last year or for the first half of this year. And then I moved to the notes app on my phone Mm -hmm. because Uh I tend to read many books very slowly. So Mm -hmm. it's more satisfying for me to use, you know, the on for for iPhone and the notes app, you have like the list feature with like bubble like check boxes. Okay. It's amazing. So I have one sheet, like one note for every month, and then I add in the books that I'm reading at a time, and then I put in what percentage of the way I am through them, and then when I'm done, I write 100%, and then I click the bubble, and it's like my favorite thing to do. (laughs) That is a nice – I like that as a ritual for like keeping track of like sort of closing out your book experience. That's fun. It's so great. And then I don't feel bad if I'm like – you know, let's say 40% through a book, because then mm-hmm. I can be like, oh, I just went up to 45%. And then I, <laughs> I still get the like reward of feeling yeah. like I have accomplished something. Yes. That, I like that. <gasps> Which is really the point of reading. <laughs> <laughs> there is something really satisfying about being able to like check the box or like write the book down or put it in the spreadsheet or whatever the like, the tallying of it, I think. Yeah, exactly. I agree. All right, so with that, we will jump into uh, this week's first sponsor. So our first sponsor for the episode is Sips By. Uh, Is there anything better than curling up with a new book and a hot cup of tea? Sips By makes discovering tea fun, personalized, and affordable. The Sips By box is the only multi-brand personalized tea subscription box. Each month, Sips By matches you with delicious teas from over 150 global tea brands, big and small, based on your unique preferences. Gift cards and subscriptions are available at www.sipsby.com. Wow. Once you subscribe, you'll receive four new teas each month chosen just for you. Each Sips by box includes loose teas, bag teas, or a mixture of both based on your preference, and makes 16 or more cups of tea. Sips by accounts for your caffeine tolerance, flavor preference, and even your dietary needs. And Sips by is really awesome. I have found it to be such a fun way to try new and different teas. I love that they will send you this one of the ways I got into more into loose leaf teas. I was always a little not intimidated, but just sort of like it felt like a lot of work. Um, and so but I got some different loose leaf teas in my sips by box and they they send um, little tea bags that you can use with them. And like that makes it feel less intimidating. And so I found some really good and fun loose leaf teas that I would have never otherwise tried um, by doing the box. And I also found my very favorite Earl Grey tea through Sips By. So it's a really fun way to try something new and different. So follow at Sips By, that's S-I-P-S-B-Y, on Instagram for weekly giveaways and more. For podcast listeners only, use the code 4REAL for 50% off your first Sips By box at www.sipsby.com. I have a tea story. Please tell me the tea story. The tea story is that I, so there's a place in Chicago, I don't know how well it is known outside of Chicago, but it's a hotel called The Drake, and they have, it's very fancy, and they have a, an afternoon tea, uh, which is super worth it. It's kind of expensive, but it's worth it, just because of the ambiance. But anyway, so I went when I was like a teenager with my family, and 
I had no idea about any kind of tea because I don't really drink tea, but I knew that Captain Picard ordered <laughs> Earl Grey. <laughs> so that was like my go-to tea order. I was always like, Earl That's Grey. Intense. I I don't even know if I like it, but <laughs> like still, <laughs> after having ordered it so many times, I'm like, it's fine. But um, it was definitely like, so. I don't know, thank you, Star Trek The Next Generation, for uh, giving me a, a tea choice. <laughs> We should come to Chicago and we should go there because that sounds really fun. Yes. Let's do that. Be a, a, a work retreat. <laughs> Call it that. All right. Uh, we're going to skip nonfiction news this week and we're going to jump right in. Uh, this week's episode, we're going to talk about our favorite nonfiction books of the year. And then we're going to talk about some of the books that we missed reading this year that we missed hearing about until much later after they came out. Depend got a couple of different options there. So um, before we jump into favorite nonfiction, I just want to mention that we mentioned some of our favorite nonfiction at like the halfway point of the year. So back in an episode in June, when or June or July, I can't remember the date, but we previewed some nonfiction for the second half of the year and also talked about our favorites up to that point. So I want to do just mention those because for me anyway, the two I've talked about there are still among my top books of the year and I recommend them constantly to people. So uh, the first book I talked about then was Between Two Kingdoms, A Memoir of a Life Interrupted by Sulika Jood. And that is a memoir about her experiences as as a young woman um, being diagnosed with leukemia that is most people don't survive this particular type of cancer. And so she writes about her experience as a cancer patient and then also about her experience after she goes into remission and has to sort of figure out what her life is going to look like after losing much of her 20s to illness. Uh, And the second one is Nowhere Girl, a memoir of a fugitive childhood by Cheryl Diamond, which is a story about a young woman who grows up with parents who are frauds. uh, And so they spend much of her childhood uh, traveling from place to place and it gets very dark when she finally learns why her parents are on the run from both the authorities and also her mother's family. But it is just, it is an incredible page turner. Uh, I recommended it to one of my book clubs and uh, everyone who read it loved it and thought it was great. So those are two of my favorites that I've already talked about, but I wanted to mention again. And do you want to talk about yours, Alice, or I can just lead them? Oh, I can do it. Uh, okay. I was just thinking about how I keep uh, thinking that Cheryl Diamond, the author of Nowhere Girl, is Cheryl Strayed. The advice giver slash hiker <laughs> not the same um but she's not <laughs> nope <laughs> someone else anyway um december's going great okay you'll never believe what happened to Lacey is one of my favorites that i've already talked about crazy stories about racism by amber ruffin and Lacey lamar her sister it's just it's a lot of um stories of mostly microaggressions that Lacey experiences in the American Midwest and then tells Amber Ruffin about. Amber Ruffin also shares some of her stories. One of them that really has stuck with me is she talks about being in Chicago when she lived here and going outside her door and having a policeman basically uh, shove his gun at, like, I was going to say at her, I guess, in her face. But, like, basically he held his gun. He held her up at gunpoint and... I forget what the issue was or, like, why he even was – but it was basically ridiculous and horrible. And I knew exactly where she was because she describes uh, the area. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just very – because of that, it felt, like, extra, obviously, like, close to home and just – it was just – it just stuck with me Mm -hmm. because of of the sort of, like, closeness and also the – terribleness and like the almost again like a lot of these things are some of the they vary in in scale but they are especially when they add up it's it's just like horrific and then 
they just oh anyway this obviously this book like after we, we did it on audiobook my wife and her sister and i on a road trip and we were just silent in the car after and it's like it's very funny at times but it also again it just has this like oh my gosh kind of quality so you'll never believe what happened to Lacey's really good and then totally different notes, follow the flock, how sheep shaped human civilization. <laughs> I was have a hard time saying that title. Uh, sheep shaped human civilization by Sally Coulthard. And that's just about, you know, sheep. It's like a nice, chill <laughs> book talking about the contribution of sheep to our society. And she's not like, I had a pet sheep in my life. And here's a parallel story about my life with the sheep, like, which is fine when people do that kind of thing. But it's nice to just have a straightforward thing about here are facts about sheep. <laughs> so, uh, so I really appreciate that. So yeah, follow the flock. Really <laughs> recommend it if you want a chill read. Excellent. I love that. All right. So uh, now I'll jump into some other ones that we haven't talked about, or we probably talked about many of these before, but other favorites of 2021. So uh, the first one I want to talk about is actually a book that I'm like just like a chapter from finishing, but it's so good that I like have to talk about it. It's called 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And the premise of this book is the idea that as people we have, if we live to be 80 years old, 4,000 weeks on the planet. And so it's a it's a productivity book and looking at like time management and stuff like that. But it's really more about like the idea like you're never going to be not busy. You're never going to f- get to some like magical place where like your to-do list is done. And like now you can finally like live your life and be relaxed and like because you've gotten through all of the other stuff. He's basically the getting the through that is your life, that this is what it is. And so it's about like we'll ne- we never have control of time. Time is – like the one thing that <laughs> moves forward in the same way for all of us. And so just like kind of gets at that concept in a bunch of different ways and sort of is like productivity is not the point of it is not to do more. The point of it is to like enjoy the life you have. And so it's about like how to best use the time that we've been given and stop worrying about productivity, I guess. I don't know. Like it's just very it's really interesting. And there's been a few passages that I've come across where they just sort of like stopped me in my tracks and I was like, oh you're right. There was one sentence about like, a plan is just our futile attempt to like, pin the future down and the future doesn't need to comply with that. And I just was like, Oh, my God, you're right. (laughs) Plans are pointless, you know. So it's just it's really like making me think in like a really different way about productivity and to do lists and all of that kind of stuff. So 4000 weeks time management for mortals by Oliver Berkman. That's like that uh, man plans, God laughs thing. Yeah, pretty much. But with in a potentially more helpful format uh, in terms of an entire book. No, that sounds really good, especially with, I don't know about other countries, but especially this like American tendency towards like productivity equals worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't feel very healthy. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he goes at that a lot of like what you do is not who you are. And like if we spend too much time like the doing of the things is your life. So stop trying to rush through the things and like enjoy the things kind of stuff. I don't don't know. It's just really interesting. Yeah. Enjoy the things. That's good. (laughs) I do want to point out that on, so I tend to like rush through vacations and I try to make them educational and stuff. But when my wife and I have gone on vacation, we went to Paris and the things that we remember best are honestly where we like sat somewhere for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. We're like, remember when we just sat there? <laughs> mm-hmm. That was great. 
Yeah. And we saw so much stuff. And I like we went to Versailles and like saw the usual like whatever. And I was still like, oh, I really liked when we sat in a park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Saw a lot of good dogs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so one of my favorite books of the year is The African Lookbook, A Visual History of 100 Years of African Women by Catherine E. McKinley. McKinley is a curator. Um, these are photographs from her personal collection. And the 100 years in the subtitle refers to 1870 to 1970. So it's this very, like, obviously, like, in that time, there's just, like, a ton of changes happening. And it talks about the colonial period, the independence period, post-independence. And it's about 150 studio photographs of African girls and women. So they're mostly from like Burkina Faso, Chad, Gambia, Nigeria. It's not only the photographs, though, because it is, it is you know, it's called a lookbook. It's mostly photos. But it also offers this kind of commentary and dissection of what is going on in the photo, which I am not good at that kind of thing. So I love when other people do it for me <laughs> and are like, this is significant because of this. I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. And it's just the photos are are really kind of, you know, like arresting. And it's just, it's a really, it's a really cool book. This mainly the takeaway from it. But, and I'm really glad that it, it came out as one of the releases for 2021. So The African Lookbook, A Visual History of 100 Years of African Women by Catherine E. McKinley. That sounds awesome. I feel like I don't read enough of those kind of like, I don't want to say nonfiction picture books, but you know what I mean, right? Like I mean, coffee kinda, table yeah. kind of. Yeah, that's that's a great pick. I'm really glad that you talked about that one. So uh, my next favorite pick of 2021 is called Northern Light, Power, Land, and the Memory of Water by Kazima Lee, uh, which is a memoir about a man who, he was born in London, but he spent a lot of his life growing up in these small towns in Manitoba and then moved to the United States. And he, the memoir starts by him having this like very vivid memory of a, a hydroelectric dam on a a river in a town that he grew in he lived in as a child and he starts to like investigate because he wants to like remember this town and he finds out that it's actually the town was uh, a work site for people who um, managed the dam of manitoba's major electrical utility on cross lake and so he was part of this uh, community of workers but then across from that there is an indigenous community that is still there that was affected by this dam and this company coming in and damming the lake and so he um wants to like investigate this. So he goes back north to the community and spends time with all of the people who still live there and really starts to understand about the politics of the community and the experience of indigenous people in Canada and like what that was all like. And he's a, uh, the author is a poet. And so the writing is just really beautiful. It's very vivid, but also like just kind of a book about understanding a small town and the effects that um, different groups of people have on that place and how our memories of places can really change over time and what our conceptions of places as children are can be different than what they actually were and what they are later and just a lot of really interesting kind of explorations of stuff like that. So um, it was just a really, I think, beautiful book and like kind of a quiet, nice book, even though there's a lot of like complicated stuff in there so northern light power land and the memory of water by kazima lee oh that's really good <laughs> that's yeah. like my only commentary sorry i was like this is not incisive <laughs> but no that's not that sounds really good i remember you talking about it and being like oh i should read it and then you know it's like on the list it happens haven't read it yet but i i, I you know maybe someday 
My next pick is Confident Women, Swindlers, Grifters, and Shapeshifters of the Feminine Persuasion by Tori Telfer. Tori Telfer wrote Lady Killers, and uh, Confident Women is her new sort of collection of stories of uh, true, true women, real, real life women. Uh, she kind of goes uh, from the 1700s to... I'm not sure if she goes into the 21st century. She might, but definitely like spans a couple centuries. And she talks uh, about people from uh, Jean de Saint-Rémy who stole a diamond necklace by pretending to be Marie Antoinette and having like a (laughs) garden assignation with someone. Um, It's this very dramatic story uh, that ends up ruining some jewelers i think i don't remember if they actually ended up going out of business but the whole story is in there she also talks about the numerous anastasias who were around Mm -hmm. in the early 20th century you know all these people who were saying they were anastasia how many people even after it was proven through dna testing being like no that wasn't her they didn't want to you know stop believing because it's this it's such a wonderful story right that like Mm -hmm. after all she survived and yeah um she did not but you know there, there was that story in the mid-20th century going up to the 1997 film Anastasia, which is just so good. But anyway, and then, uh, oh, one of the stories that I was like, goodness gracious, the most about is um, Alicia Head, who co-founded a 9-11 survivor network and had this whole story about being in the Twin Towers and her fiance died in the other tower and she made it out and was like head of this for like a very long time. And then it turns out she lied about everything. And she had been in Spain during 9-11. And just everything was a lie. It's really bonkers. There is also a documentary called The Woman Who Wasn't There, uh, which I watched that came out soon after I think she had been like outed. But yeah, it's very it's very bizarre. So that book <laughs> covers obviously that that's a whole range of stories and and types of people who are all, for whatever reason, faking their story, mm-hmm. if you will. So that is Confident Women, Swindlers, Grifters, and Shapeshifters of the Feminine Persuasion by Tori Telfer. That one uh, sounds so good. Like stories about con men and con women are just really they're really fascinating. Well, and it's nice to have just like shorts, yeah. you know, like because it's broken up into that, like just each chapter is a different person and yeah, yeah. Like that kind of thing. Like it. Uh, so speaking of cool women doing cool stuff, my <laughs> next pick is Sensational, The Hidden History of America's Girl Stunt Reporters by Kim Todd, which I talked about a bunch on one podcast because it is like right up my alley and I loved it so much. So this is a social history of um, the first girl stunt reporters who were uh, women in the Gilded Age who went undercover in newspaper newspapers and other uh, journalistic groups to expose corruption and other stuff. And so these are the first people who really like did um, getting into sewing factories report on child labor. They tried to test public hospitals by like fainting and then seeing what would happen to them. They posed as lobbyists trying to get at politicians and just really like helped move some of the like Gilded Age social reforms forward based on their reporting. So like one example is Nellie Bly, who went undercover into Blackwell's Insane Asylum, but there were a ton of other women um, named and unnamed, uh, bylined and not, who did this stunt reporting. And so it's a history of that. It's a look at newspapers. It's about women kind of finding their place in the journalism industry. Uh, it's just really it was like perfectly written for me. So I haven't recommended this one. I, I recommend it to people who ask, but like it's very much like right in my wheelhouse. So Sensational, The Hidden History of America's Girl Stunt Reporters by Kim Todd. 
I told you I went to Blackwell, uh, the remaining kind of building there, right? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that they said it's haunted. I believe that. Right? Yeah. That's my only contribution. <laughs> it's a weird, uh, tiny island outside of the other island that is Manhattan. Okay. Uh, my next pick is The Unfit Heiress, The Tragic Life and Scandalous Sterilization of Anne Cooper Hewitt by Audrey Claire Farley. Um, this is the book. Anne Cooper Hewitt was the, I think, granddaughter of the Cooper of Cooper Union in New York. And then her father uh, was also kind of like her. So her grandfather was like an inventor. Her father was an inventor. Her mother just seems awful. Like, really <laughs> really terrible and is the person who is behind her being sterilized so the book goes into kind of her mother's past which like she got she was married a bunch of times and kind of like a fortune hunter and let's use the phrase good time girl because i've used that earlier today and i think it's fun but she did that so it covers her time in like the 20s and then having Anne Cooper Hewitt uh with you know her whatever number husband Peter Cooper and then he passes, um, he leaves, you know, he had this fortune, but it's sort of to Anne and her mother wants it. And it's kind of this question of whether her mother had the right to do this. It, it talks about eugenics a lot and the eugenics movement in America and, you know, sort of like how this case influenced what was going on there. It's just very, it's very interesting in terms of, I really like when you take like a specific court case and it kind of expand on the culture of the time and like what how those like forces were influencing it. Uh, and this is one of those, in addition to kind of again giving like biographies of the the main players. So that is The Unfit Heiress, The Tragic Life and Scandalous Sterilization of Anne Cooper Hewitt by Audrey Claire Farley. That one sounds really good too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good pick. All right. My next pick uh, takes a little bit of a turn, I guess. It's more contemporary. So it is The Ugly Truth, Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination by Shira Frankel and Cecilia Kang. And this is a book looking at the history of Facebook. So they are both uh, reporters from different beats. So they're coming at the history of Facebook from like a technology perspective and also a business perspective. And just kind of this, they talk about the start of Facebook, but then they focus a lot on like the, the last probably like five or six years when Facebook has really like started to have a lot more scandals and problems. And they really, this book made me really angry um, because it just shows like how little Facebook as a corporation cares about the effect that their tool and their platform has on anyone else uh, and that the like actively harmful and that there are people within the organization that tried to point that out and it never gets anywhere and I think there's been a lot there's a lot of headlines obviously about like Facebook and what's going on there but I like the way that this book kind of pulls all of that together and really just like lays it out and just sort of says like all of these things are not bugs like they're a feature of Facebook the way that this platform is designed is to do these things and so the the unintended consequences like are were inevitable and were seen and they're not really unintended because they knew that this would happen. I, so I just think it's really, really great reporting and a very good like summary of why Facebook is bad. So The Ugly Truth Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination by Shira Frankel and Cecilia King. Um, are you still on Facebook? Yes, I have to. I'm not like really active on Facebook, but my job doing communications involves using Facebook, so I can't, like, deactivate myself. 
Oh yeah, and to use like a like an organizational mm-hmm. profile, you need to have a personal profile. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I say that and I use that as an excuse. Like, I don't know for sure that I could get myself off Facebook. Like, I, I have a lot of FOMO, I think. And even though, like, Facebook provides no value, it would be – it would definitely be an effort for me to, to not ever be on it at all. But, yeah. I understand that. I get it. And I say that I'm, like – I say, like, I'm not on Facebook, but I'm on Instagram all the time, which is just, an like, mm-hmm. an offshoot. <laughs> Facebook, so I'm just like, I don't know who I'm trying to fool here. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, my next pick I've talked about on here a couple times. It's Punch Me Up to the Gods, a memoir by Brian Broom. It won the Kirkus Prize for nonfiction, which is a big deal because they review so many books in a year. Um, I forget what the number is, but it's like hundreds upon hundreds. So it is uh, well-deserved. And it is extremely good. It's structured around Gwendolyn Brooks's poem, We Real Cool. Um, so each like section is around a different uh, like line or, or part of the poem. And it's about him growing up black and gay and trying to, you know, sort of like survive his family. And then even in like just sort of always feeling like an outcast, even in like gay bars and like trying to just find his place. And in, you know, in that way, it is, of course, very relatable. But you're also learning about Brian Broom, the person. And it's just it's really good. <laughs> like I just really encourage people to read it. And I remember when it came out, the title was just, I was like, oh my gosh, the title is so evocative and like so great. Mm-hmm. Even just that is amazing. So great job, Brian Broom, with your book for this year. Excellent. Uh, so my last pick uh, for favorite books of the year is Paradise, One Town Struggle to Survive an American Wildfire by Lizzie Johnson. And this is another book that is just like a really incredible piece of reporting. So this is a book about the uh, 2018 campfire in California, which... Um, destroyed the town of Paradise, California, and it killed like 75 people. And the fire was caused by uh, aging and ill-repaired electrical infrastructure that basically fell apart and sparked during a dry season in California and started this incredible wildfire that just ripped through the town of Paradise in a matter of hours. And so people barely had a chance to leave. And uh, it was just just truly devastating. Um, and so Lizzie Johnson uh, was a reporter. She was at a San Francisco newspaper. So she was able to get to Paradise really quickly after the fire went through and it was safe to get there. And so she, you can just tell that she spent so much time with the people of this community, understanding what happened to them and being and empathetically telling their stories. And so um, the book is both like, a, a recounting of this disaster through the stories of a few very specific people and their like experiences trying to escape paradise on the day of the fire. But then it's also a really effective look at both how climate change and aging infrastructure are creating dangerous conditions that could lead to other natural disasters like this one. And so she does a really good job of both telling individual stories that add up to sort of the whole community's experience and contextualizing those stories in the context of disasters and what's going on and like the things that contribute to a a natural disaster prone world. It's just, it's so good. Um, Just the way she's, what she's able to do in this book, I was just really blown away by it. So Paradise, One Town Struggle to Survive an American Wildfire by Lizzie Johnson. I checked that out from the library. It's really good. It's, it's on the longer side. I feel like it was a little intimidating when I first picked it up, but it's so good. It, I just flew through it. Yeah, I haven't. I think I've read 
the first few pages. And then I have a number of books that are ebooks and they are due back imminently. Ah, yes, so I've been yes. like super focusing on those. But I only have one more and then I get to read some uh, other books. So, okay, my last uh, highlight, if you will, 2021 nonfiction is Notable Native People, 50 Indigenous Leaders, Dreamers, and Changemakers from Past and Present by Adrian Keene. Um, this is another one of those profile books, but it's because it is focusing on more people than like, let's say the Tori Telfer book, they're shorter profiles. And so you get to have these like little bios of 50 people. And then if you want, you can go and sort of find out more about them, which again, I love these types of survey books, which is why I'm highlighting it. So this talks about people from uh, Wilma Mankiller, who was the first uh, woman principal chief of the Cherokee Nation, to um, Edmonia Lewis, who was 19th century sculptor. And it focuses on uh, American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian people. And so you get Oh, also, okay, there's like someone who uh, is living right now, one might say a contemporary, who uh, she's a linguist, and it's Jessie Little Doe Baird, who revived the Wampanoag language, which is so cool when people do that. Like when there's a dying language and they're like, you know what? No, we're just going to bring that back. And we're going to have people just like speaking that as their like daily thing. I just think it's so neat. Anyway, so this this book is just really neat. And it also has uh, illustrations for everyone, which is also a bonus of this type of thing. And it's, like, not expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I always want to highlight that kind of thing if I can. Mm -hmm. Um, The, like, non-discounted price is $18.99. So I would scoop this right up. I'm just saying. Maybe it's a good last-minute gift for people in your life. Um, but again, that is Notable Native People, 50 Indigenous Leaders, Dreamers, and Changemakers from Past and Present by Adrian Keene. That one sounds excellent. That's a really a good pick. And again, maybe maybe 2022 will be my year of like short profile books because y- you make them sound so fun and I just like never pick them up. There are so many. You I could totally be like, I'm going to read five of them and you would still have to pick from a wide selection. True. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we should do an episode on profile books. Oh, good idea. Anyway, okay, let's talk about our second sponsor, which is the Read Harder Challenge, which is just perfect timing, because here we are at the end of 2021. In its eighth year, oh my goodness, but Gray, it's been around for a while. <laughs> the annual Read Harder Challenge consists of 24 tasks designed to help you shake up your reading routine, expand your worldview through books as you explore genres, topics, and formats you might not otherwise reach for. So come read a queer retelling of a classic, a book by a disabled author, a romance with a protagonist over 40, or an anthology featuring diverse voices. If you need suggestions, that is no problem. Recommendations for each task will be delivered straight to your inbox. Oh my gosh, the ease of it all. Sign up for the 2022 Read Harder Challenge at bookriot.com slash readharder2022. That is bookriot.com slash readharder2022. All right, that is awesome. The Read Harder Challenge is so fun every year. Uh, I always... I always think about doing it, and then some years I try, and some years I have to let it go, and I don't know, maybe 2022 is the year to, like, try it again. Uh, We'll see. 
So uh, for this next second segment, we're going to do also nonfiction of 2021, but some of the stories that we missed, either ones that we wanted to read and didn't, ones that we heard of late, or just stuff that wasn't on our radar until the end of the year that we want to highlight because obviously like we cannot possibly read and catch everything because we are only two humans. My first pick is Names for Light, A Family History by Thierry Mio Chamuyant. Uh, and this is a book that won the Grey Wolf Nonfiction Prize, which is um, Grey Wolf is a small independent publisher in Minnesota. And I love every book that wins the nonfiction prize. Like they always have really interesting ones. And so I just, this one just fell off my radar and I didn't catch it until just a little bit ago. So this is a sort of um, experimentalish nonfiction book that explores uh, three generations of a family's history against the inheritance of post-colonial violence and racism. So she um, explores ideas about home and belonging and identity by uh, revisiting the cities in which our parents and grandparents lived. So uh, she was born in Myanmar and raised in Bangkok and San Jose. And so she um, writes about not having like not having memories of arriving in the United States and uh, like things she doesn't remember from before then. And um, it just looks really interesting and like experimental and like it has a lot of like short chapters and stuff like that and i just i since i love the gray wolf nonfiction prize i this one didn't make it on my radar and so i wanted to make sure to highlight it because it's always really the books that win this prize are always super interesting so names for light a family history by theory miocho chow Mient. that sounds great and is kind of tied to my book yeah a little bit yeah yeah it's like generational Mm -hmm. there's a there's a through line okay i so i picked all that she carried the journey of ashley's sack a black family keepsake by tia miles which if you are a regular listener to for real you have probably heard that title a number of times and it's because it's on a bunch of lists and won the national book award so i have not read it and which is why it's on this part of the podcast. Um, but it sounds so good. So it was basically starting in the 1850s in South Carolina. There was an enslaved woman named Rose whose daughter, Ashley, uh, of the title, was about to be sold. So she threw some, um, quote, precious items into a cotton bag and to try to ensure Ashley's survival. And the, Ashley was nine years old and was then sold. So... Years later, Ashley's granddaughter named Ruth um, embroidered this history on that same bag, including uh, Rose's wish that it, quote, be filled with my love always. So it this, the book is about this story about, about the, the sack itself and uh, what Ashley's journey was. And it's just, oh my gosh, I'm just like feeling emotional just thinking about it. It's like uh nine years old is so young oh my gosh okay mm-hmm. anyway so if you uh are have the emotional fortitude to deal with some feelings uh which clearly i don't know if i do but um 2022 is probably the year for it then uh i would check this out i think it sounds so good and obviously again is it is on a million lists and just seems to be great so all that she carried the journey of ashley sack a black family keepsake by tia miles Yes, I'm glad you talked about that one that I have a copy and I just like need to I need to pick it up. 
All right, so my second pick is called The Second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America by Carol Anderson. Uh, So Carol Anderson is a historian. She wrote um, a book about voting rights. She's written about a lot of different issues of like race in the United States. And so in this one, she looks at the history and impact of the Second Amendment and how it has been designed and has been used to keep African Americans powerless and vulnerable. And so it is a look at how the Second Amendment connects to citizenship rights and human rights of African Americans. So what I like about Carol Anderson as an author is that she takes really big and complicated topics and she really like drills them down to like the core issue. Um, So in her her book about voting, right, like there's a ton of stuff going on, but she really just drills it down. She's like, racism like that is what is at stake here or that is that is what is the thing here. And I think that's what she's doing with the Second Amendment, right, is like how how it has been used to support racist policies and decisions and how that has trickled down or not even trickled down, how that has extended into contemporary United States. And so she has examples about how black men who have guns or legally have the have the permit to carry guns, the Second Amendment doesn't actually protect them. And then the people who say that they support the Second Amendment also don't. And so that it is not just about gun ownership. It is about white gun ownership. Um, and so I think that that's just a really interesting and important thing to explore as we're trying to sort of wrap our heads around all of the other things going on in the United States right now. So I, I think this is a really important one. And I, I like the way that she is able to distill issues in a really clear and understandable but forceful way. So the second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America by Carol Anderson. Yeah, I really want to read that. Um... That's just, yeah, it's one of those books that is hard, but also Mm -hmm. I feel like when we're having conversations about things like that, it just helps to have the kind of background and in-depth background that you get from Mm -hmm. books like that. Uh, So just sort of, I'm not quite continuing on a theme, but uh, another book is um, Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Radden Keefe. Patrick Radden Keefe wrote Say Nothing about um, the IRA, Northern Ireland. And Empire of Pain is about the, the Sackler family and their responsibility through Purdue Pharma for the opioid crisis and like sort of the lawsuit that happened as a result of oxycontin flooding the market and because it was this highly addictive opioid and obviously the i feel like it's not been in the news as much the opioid crisis it has i believe do not quote me on this gotten worse at the very Mm -hmm. least has not gotten better during the pandemic Mm -hmm. which it makes sense but it's just not usually you're not hearing about it as much because there's so much else going on so this remains a very a uh, relevant topic of discussion. The Sackler family name was not really out there other than through their philanthropy. Um, but in connection to Purdue, they sort of tried to keep themselves not uh, in the limelight. And uh, their name was very much like it was at Harvard, it was at the, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, it was at the Louvre. It has since um, been taken down from many of those places. I know it was taken down from the Louvre, the most recent one I've heard is the the Metropolitan Museum of Art announced last week that they were changing the name of the the Sackler Wing, which a few months later, but I guess, I guess the big institutions can move slowly. Um, but basically, 
they did uh, end up like they were trying to avoid, you know, saying that they were responsible for this. They had a huge legal team. Obviously, they had billions of dollars. But this book, which is pretty long, but um, very thorough and just goes into what the lawsuit was, what the history was of this drug and how it has impacted particularly the United States. So that, again, is Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Radden Keefe. It's another excellent and important one that got to get in like the right mind space or headspace to headspace to read. So yeah, glad you talked about that one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. My last one is I think a little bit lighter, I hope. It is called Heartwarming, How Our Inner Thermostat Made Us Human by Hans Roca Earsman. And this is basically about, it's an exploration of temperature through the lens of evolution. So it is about how body temperature has affected our evolution as a species so um how we have like connected together in order to like maintain temperature how uh the ideas around thermal regulation have shaped our lives so he talks about how like in different scientific studies about temperature and how that affects different things so like for example uh, he writes about how a chilly deliberation room can predispose a jury to convict and that a cold day can make us more likely to buy a house and so he looks at how our mind body connects together and how temperature affects that and then looks at like some really big questions about like how will climate change impact society why are some people chronically cold and others are overheated and so it's a book about human temperature and how that affects all sorts of different parts our lives and i really love books like this that are sort of like take a particular lens and look at how it affects lots of different areas and so i think this one came out in like january and i was like that sounds really exciting and fun and uh, i bought it and then i haven't read it yet so maybe i will soon before the end of the year uh, it is heartwarming how our inner thermostat made us human by hans roca earsman oh that's really nice <laughs> sorry <laughs> I uh, I promise at some point in our our podcast, I know we're almost at four years now. I will I will have really good commentary. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh! Okay, well, my last pick is "A Little Devil in America: Notes in Praise of Black Performance" by Hanif Abdurraqib. The title comes from uh, the March on Washington in 1963. Um, acclaimed performer, Josephine Baker, uh, who was 57 years old, was giving a speech and she said, I was a devil in other countries and I was a little devil in America too. So from this, uh, Hanif Adur-Akib wrote these essays on how Black performance is woven into the fabric of American culture. And he touches on a lot of things, including um, Michael Jackson and Dave Chappelle and Ellen Armstrong and, oh, Whitney Houston. My gosh. I love Whitney Houston so much. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so I'm really looking forward to this. It's This is another one that I feel like I've heard of over and over again this year and am bummed that I haven't had time to read yet. So that is um, on the list for 2022. It's just been Always going to say generally praised and praises in the subtitle. That's fun. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so I would I would also maybe add it to your list. So it is A Little Devil in America, Notes in Praise of Black Performance by Hanif Abdurraqib. I have only ever heard good things about his books. Uh, everyone I know that reads them loves them. So that is a, a great last pick for books we missed this year. But we're yeah. going to talk about anyway. 
All right. And so with that, we will wrap up the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading right now. I think we're both going to talk about fiction, which is kind of a nice change since we just did a lot of nonfiction in this podcast. Um, The book I'm reading right now that I'm almost finished with is The Seed Keeper by Diane Wilson, uh, which is a book that came out from Milkweed Press. And it is um, a story of a a Native American woman in Minnesota and her coming of age story. And then her it's tied to um, her coming of age story and her life story is tied to some of her ancestor stories being seed keepers of her their tribe and their community in minnesota and it is it is um it's very quiet it's very contemplative um there it opens with her like going to a cabin in the middle of the winter and sort of like hunkering down there alone which feels like a very like winter (laughs) hibernation kind of story so it feels like the right time of year to be reading it, but it's really, it's really good. And she ties this story into a lot of interesting pieces and important pieces of Minnesota history that I'm enjoying. So The Seed Keeper by Diane Wilson. Well, that's really nice that it's also like Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, I am reading The Three-Body Problem by Si Xin Liu. It is science fiction. And this is one of those books that I got from the library, and it's due back in five days, so I've really got to step it up with my reading. But I'm like, uh, I'm like two thirds through it, and I've heard from a number of people that they were like, it's too something. Like it's gonna, it's definitely got a lot of science. It's really weird. It's I'm finding it to be one of those books where I don't know why I really like it. Mm-hmm. Like I can't pinpoint why. I don't normally like science in like a broad sense (laughs) like i did not like the martian but this one i think it's got just enough like instead of like a science experiment it's more like physics and focused on i mean okay the general plot is uh all of these major scientists and mathematicians are um dying seemingly by suicide and there is a game that a bunch of people are playing called three body And I had to call my dad, who's a professor of aerospace (laughs) engineering, and I said, Dad, what is a three-body problem? Because I looked it up on Wikipedia, and I don't understand. And he told me that the two-body problem was, like, the the Earth going around the sun, and Copernicus solved it in, like, the 17th century and with a formula. And we figured out it's this elliptical orbit. But when you add in a third body, which is, like, the moon, then there's no formula for where the, the where they're going to be and they just have to do like like a wh- whatever it doesn't matter i can't explain it <laughs> to that extent but basically there is they can't find a formula for it so like you can't predict exactly or at least not using a formula you can using like a math equation i don't know so it's kind of in this there in there's like a game you play within the world of this book and the game three body is where there's a world, and I, oh, I don't want to give it away. But basically, the three-body problem is very integral to the world, and no one can figure it out. And it's just, it's really weird, and it's really interesting. <laughs> like, I can't, I, because I don't want to give away spoilers, it's just a little difficult to explain. I will say that at the beginning, it's also, like, tied in with, like, the cultural revolution in China. Mm. And the beginning, you're kind of like, what's going on? Because it starts in, like, the 60s, but it does move into the present day. And I'm doing a lot of hand gestures right now, which I feel like would better explain what was going on. <laughs> but you can't see it because it's a podcast. But anyway, obviously, I'm pretty psyched about this book. But if it's not your cup of tea, I understand. So it is The Three-Body Problem by Xi Xin Liu. 
And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by the very patient Jen Zink. Thank you, Jen. And if you have a few minutes, we would love it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps people find us more easily. And then while you're there, you can follow us so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.